What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. My name is Scott Lease, here with my good friend and partner, Richard Harris, who's uh, doing this show today from a hotel somewhere. Where in the world is Richard Harris today? Richard is in Las Vegas uh, for the Gartner event. So, Las Vegas. Oh, big fancy Gartner event. Okay, Richard, showing us all up. You all have missed the most amazing pre-show conversations, which has mostly stemmed of our wonderful guest, sales leader, professional seller, transformational coach, and LinkedIn star, Sherry Lewick, (laughs) making fun of Richard for roughly four to five minutes straight. I, I literally have never had a better time in my whole entire life, so I'm excited to bring you all the show today. Richard, tell everybody about our fabulous sponsors, HubSpot and uh, what they need to know. Sure, these will be the, uh, you'll get the home edition of the Surf and Sales contest, uh, like Price is Right. So, but actually I wanna to talk to you about uh, another podcast that Scott and I support, uh, Scott Clary success story uh he is also on the hubspot podcast network who is sponsoring us this year uh, along with a lot of other great sales podcasts and his is really interesting too because he does a lot of q a sessions kind of similar to what scott and i do um people on everything from like business leaders and keynote presentations and conversations and marketing so he might go a little bit deeper than we do um and so we really wanted to make sure that we we give him a shot and that we want to share this one particular uh, episode we really like, which is um, Michelle Snoop Dillard. Like, like anytime I can reference someone by Snoop, I'm down. Um, and she's a trailblazing powerhouse and beacon of inspiration. She has had some of the best uh, entrepreneurial experiences in her life, and she is always willing to share them. And you know, as Scott and I like to do too, it's she's willing to share the mistakes. So that maybe someone else doesn't have to make the mistakes that we've made along the way. Lord knows, just from partnering with Scott, that might be my biggest one. We'll see. But um, looks like we're going to be on fire today. So yeah. there should be. I don't know. I don't know if there's a return from that mistake, Richard. So there isn't. There isn't. I've, I've learned to live with you. Yeah. So well, my old tagline used to be unfiltered and on fire. So you said we're going to be on fire. And I was like, oh, we are. I got excited. Yeah. Right. There she is, everybody. Sherry Lewick, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm on fire. <laughs> He's on fire. Where are you Where are you dialing in from? So I am dialing in from Springfield, Missouri. I'm in the Ozarks. So when people who really know me know I'm a Los Angelino. So it's kind of funny to have a How does West a Los Angelino go to the Ozarks? How did you go from L.A. to the Ozarks? I can understand leaving L.A. You know. <laughs> That's not the first place I would think someone would go. There's nothing wrong with the Ozarks. It's just not the first place I would think someone would go. So, yeah, it wasn't the first place I thought I would go either. <laughs> um, so, to be honest, when we decided we were going to leave Los Angeles, and that was about almost four and a half, uh, four and a half years ago already. Wow. I almost have never lived someplace for that long in my life, literally in my whole life. Scott's never um, had a job that long. This is <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Um, so yeah, so when we we were deciding where to go, we thought of checking out three places. One was Phoenix, because we had some really good friends who lived there and we thought we'd have a built-in social network. 
But when we got there, um, it just felt too deserty for me. So we decided, okay, this isn't going to work. Then we went to North Carolina because my I have really good family who lives in Asheville and really enjoyed it, but I wasn't really thrilled. And then, believe it or not, we came here because my husband has his oldest brother that lives outside of here, and he really has never had a chance to spend any time with him. And I love the outdoors so much. I mean, you put me outside, and I'm telling you, I will be happy. So... Nine months out of the year, I can be outside here. And the best part about living here is I can get on a plane and go anywhere. So, so. Oh, take us uh, back towards the beginning a little bit. How does somebody who likes to be outside so much end up with a career in sales and sales leadership? Yeah, isn't that, isn't that interesting? So that what a great question, Scott. I don't think I've ever thought about that in my entire curious thinking. Um, well, here we are. We've made it. Yeah. Made it. Yeah. So I knew in college after I decided that I wasn't going to be a profiler, I'd be a great profiler, by the way. Um, but then I was so worried that I would take home all the things because I take on so many emotions from other people that I thought I'd come home and I'd become, you know, the silence of the lambs person myself. And I just would always be, I don't need anybody to help me be crazy. So I decided that wasn't going to be a, that wasn't going to be a good idea. Um, and so the next natural thing, of course, was to go into sales because I truly love the act of service. And in college, I recognized that sales was service and I wanted to help people. What, what better way to do it? And when I started in sales, I was always outside because I started back when cold calling was actual was actually something you did door to door. <laughs> and so I was always outside. I cut my teeth on the streets of Washington, D.C., getting my heels stuck in all of those grates coming out of the sidewalks and getting thrown out of really lovely high rise buildings. Were so you, I was always were outside. Cut, were you a cut code knives person? I was not a Cutco knives person. I, I, um, or a fuller brush salesman. I'm not that old. <laughs> I, have a, I have a, I have a question. Um, you know, you, you had this idea to be a profiler, right? Mm. And, um, I mean, just even on your personality in the few minutes we've known you, 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 you can read the room, right? And you're certainly, uh, unafraid to say things. So what are the things about a profiler? that interest you and even though you didn't go down that path oh i sure did you, on sales yeah that's what i'm saying so what what would you be like oh here's something people don't know that might sound like a profiler thing Ooh, you want to get into the fbi stuff huh yeah i tell you you know then i'll have to um okay. yeah so no i think that's that's a great question and it's something that i actually talk a lot about um, not necessarily the analogy, you know, not, not, you know, the analogy of being a profiler to sales, but I talk about how important self-awareness is. And I think more than 90% of the people who say they're self-aware even have gone deep enough to know what self-awareness is. And Scott, knowing your background, you probably would agree with me. Um, self-awareness is really knowing who you are and what your biases and assumptions are 
and where they came from and how they show up ugly and how they how they show up happy and and everything in between and until you've really gotten raw with yourself and hit some type of a bottom okay i mean it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be rock bottom by your definition because your definition is going to be different than mine and everybody else's but you have to hit some kind of a bottom to be willing to do that kind of work and once you're self-aware, your emotional um, intelligence has the ability to go way up and you can pick up on subtle cues. So what's what's something that you let's let's I want to go pick up on the subtleties in a second, but let's come back. Mm -hmm. You know, people who know me and Scott knows me and Scott's the same. You know, we, we do get pretty raw, like we're, we're very open about our challenges mm -hmm. and stuff in life. What does raw mean, though, for you, like as you describe it? What would be an example of, of something you, not necessarily your rawness, but. Oh, I'll talk you know. about my rawness all day long, right? I mean, that's my life. I haven't always made the best choices. <laughs> um, but, you know, like anybody who makes a choice that leads them in any direction, nobody makes a decision so that they'll end up addicted or homeless or haggard or jobless. Nobody says, oh, you know what? This is a really great idea. I think I should start taking these pills or snorting this white powder because it's going to really uh, it's going to really take me down the path to hell. So let, I'm going to double down now really quick and really easy because I can't wait to go through hell. Right. right. Um, that's never, we never enter that, that realm, but I didn't always have the right choices. I mean, I was homeless twice before I was 18 and not by any choices of mine, by choices of my parents. Right. They decided I should be on my own before I graduated high school and I graduated at 17. So, you know, once you've been dragged around on the pavement a few times, you're willing to talk about your things. I mean, I'm a I'm a recovering and I say recovering. I haven't touched drugs in since 2006. But, you know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an addict. What What is it about the. The, the the strength required to get through homelessness in your youth, go through troubles, traumas, have the wherewithal to like, you know, come together, get yourself clean. What is the, the, the strength that you take away from that, that you manage to apply towards selling? And as you said, serving people and whatnot, it's, it's, it's an interesting path. And there's so many people that I know now, including yourself, including myself, who've been through things like this before. And here we are selling and thriving. What do you think it is about? So I think it could be two. So I think it's two things. Okay. And I say this from both a professional standpoint. I mean, I'm a trauma therapist and I can... I, I can resolve PTSD and I'm a PTSD survivor. So, you know, we survived a hate crime where my kids were shot at school. So um, that's what led me to addiction. But I think that in general, it's high performing people are odd ducks. And we don't think the way neurotypical people think and we don't process and so we always find ourselves in some kind of a struggle. What did, so, so 
I want to keep going and, and dig deeper into this, but you said we, we're an odd duck. We don't think the way neurotypical people think. How do we think? Um, but notice how I looped myself into that thing. Yeah, well, because you're definitely, you are, you're one, yeah, because you, you are, right? And, and these are my people, right? Take me to my people. Um, we are super curious, fairly intense, very self-aware. We know we're emotional. And we think something's wrong with us. <laughs> and, and we think that most of our lives and we're constantly trying to figure it out and fit in. Even when we're in a group, we might not necessarily be comfortable in that group because we're just not the same. And when we, that lends us towards certain choices to fit in, feel comfortable, um, be a part of, stop having to explain the differences. And I think that lends us towards making some choices that make us not recognize how different we are because we get comfortable when we use things that are take us outside of ourselves until then, it no longer works. <laughs> and then if and when we do make the choice to resolve some of these challenges or pain or traumas, whatever. Mm -hmm. What happens to us? It seems like some are propelled forward at like an incredible speed that allows, you know, success and, and whatnot to come into our lives that has eluded us previously. Um, why do you think it is? I don't, I'm asking you. I'm asking you. I'm asking you. Ooh, I saw Richard kind of go, uh-oh. <laughs> I just see what's going on. I like yeah. trying to what's going on. Those. Yeah. So, you know. so so what is going on is we recognize the need. We recognize what takes us down certain paths. And we we really realize that we were built for more. And, and I think that that's the, if we really just want to make it simple, I think we recognize we were built for more because I don't know anybody who's gone down that path and not tried to kill themselves. It's tricky to, I have found at least, it's tricky to get comfortable with yourself saying to yourself, I'm built for more and even harder to say I'm built for more out loud and have other people hear it for because well, right? the fear of judgment and shame or whatever, fear right. of getting poked at and whatnot. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I know that I was clearly built for more because I kept surviving things that nobody should have to survive. <laughs> and so that's the only thing I could ever wrap my head around, right? Is how, how did I still wake up? Like, how did this, how is this even possible? There has to be something else at, at, at play. And that more doesn't always make sense. Sometimes I don't know what the more is. I think the more is sharing more of my story and more of my challenges and, and really kind of extraordinary things I've experienced that have taken me to some other level or next realm of you know, supersonic 
powers at, at of something. I don't I don't know what it is, but I try not to um I try not to label it or put it into a specific category, right? I just say I know there's more. I'm very open to exploration. I'm I'm have a, a unnatural thirst for curiosity. What do you do? Super relevant um, for you, because everybody's different, right? You got to some very low points. And um, what have you figured out? What was it about Sherry that said, today is not my last day? Like, did you ever, you know, to, to like, I'm not giving up, you know, like, was there some part of you that you've been able to figure out? And it's hard for people, particularly those who currently are there because they may not recognize that self-awareness. So do you... no, I've done a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> I've done, I mean, I've, I've been a lifelong, I've been committed, I've been committed, but I've been committed to a life of personal development. Yeah. But I mean, and, like, sort of maybe go back to like the first, like one of the first times. Well, right? I'll tell you, you the first time it. I tried to kill myself. Okay. Cause I've tried to kill myself more than once. Oh my gosh. Okay. Thank and you for so, not. Thank you, you know, well, thank, okay. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, and, you know, and I'll say this because people say a lot of things about suicide and suicidal ideation. And I think the thing I hear the most, and I can't believe we're talking about this on a sales podcast, but I think it's so important. So I'm really, I'm really welcome to this. I, I never wanted to die. I just wanted to stop feeling hopeless. I never wanted to die. I just didn't want to hurt anymore. I didn't want to be in turmoil. I and and I really couldn't imagine anything else. And I don't think most people want to die. They just don't want to be in pain. And we tell ourselves these stories that everybody will be better off if we're gone because we won't be a problem to them either. We magnify our problems onto other people, people who aren't even thinking of us, people who who would be mortified if we were gone, but haven't once thought, gee, I wish that person would just disappear. Those aren't the people, those are the people that we think ending our lives are going to save. And those people could never even imagine it, right? And so I think for me, if I get back to with and and stop me because I'll go down a wormhole. No, keep going. I, this is this is okay. not talked about enough, and we support mental health in a lot of ways. So so, so um, it's really it, it. I don't think people talk about the real experience very much, but the first time I did it, um, I try I slit my wrists and I slit them the wrong way. So when you slit your wrist, lesson in suicide, when you sw slit your wrist. Let's not wrist, tell people how to do it. Oh, they can Google it now. They couldn't then. So no, when you slit true. your wrist, you're supposed to go this way, okay? Because I guess it opens the veins. Well, I go this way because I was trying to follow the vein because I'm a precise person. Anyhow, so um, I called my mom and she said, you couldn't even get that right. Oh, my God. Okay. And so I was, I had just turned 18 and so what you asked me is, how do you go from that to, you know, okay, it's kind of that F you attitude, right? Like, 
Oh, really? Well, I'll show you. You thought I was going to be this and I couldn't do this right. Well, now I'll show you. So then, so for me, it was now I'm going to prove that I'm not this loser that you've painted me out to be. Right. That was, that was, that was the first time. The second time I didn't think I'd wake up. I mean, I took a bottle of sleeping pills and drank a bunch of booze and I woke up and I was like, what? Huh? Like, I just didn't even know why I was waking up. And I realized, holy cow, you're awake. Like, that shouldn't have happened. You better take what has happened to you by choice or by chance. And you better turn that into something to help other people. So that's that was that moment where you, you, you finally got a, a, some level of an epiphany, which I'm yeah. sorry you had to go there. And I'm so glad you did. I mean, in, in terms you of, you know what, I thank you. But really, I mean, that's just my story. It's not, I wouldn't change anything because I wouldn't be here who I am today. And I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah. yeah. Um, so many things that, that I want to, I want to ask, shift this and it's, it's another deep topic. Um, Cause you mentioned something, you know, everything you're telling us is like, deeper and deeper and, and thank you for, by the way for those listening this is raw this is what sherry was talking about How do I get me what's raw yeah this is, this raw. is raw um you mentioned something about and, and if you don't want to talk about it i totally respect that but you mentioned this thing about, i mentioned it i'll talk about it so, well but you mentioned about your kids and and, and a school shooting oh, yeah. so sure. like, as a parent i can't imagine like our our school just um, my kids' middle school just said the kids can't wear their backpacks to class. They have to go to their lockers between classes now. And they said, and the, the answer they gave was, it's a distraction. It, people are tripping over them. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's because- Once you get an airplane and somebody turns and it smacks you in the head, right. that's a distraction. Yeah. <laughs> that's, this is fantastic. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm just sitting here, why are you lying to people? Like, don't tell me this, right? Like, don't peel my leg and tell me it's raining, right? Right. Uh, so. Oh, I'm so glad you told me not to do that. that that's time we saw each other. That was my. Yeah. <laughs> that was your greeting? That was your warm greeting? <laughs> my warm. That's my warm hello. <laughs> that's my warm intro. God, I'm going to get Sherry to give you a warm intro. Like, this is going down a really dark. I'll path. give him a hug. <laughs> I've earned a hug. <laughs> I'll give him a well, hug. So, so Sherry. Like, what is like that like as a parent? Like, and and because like, I don't know. Like, I only know what I see. So I and... so so there were many years I couldn't talk about it, and I can't. I just noticed I'm like I'm smiling, which is talk about healing. I mean, really, right? Like, one of the things that I learned many years ago, many maybe ten years ago, when I really had a big breakthrough in my healing journey. Um was that when you are neutral about things, you will know you're healed. Mm. Okay. And I am not neutral to shootings. Okay. I am an angry, fired up woman when it comes to shootings. Okay. And my mommy instincts go into full force and I am disgusted by the path this country has taken 
since August 10th, 1999, when we suffered from our shooting. So we're talking about before Columbine, okay? So my experience, um, it's the same experience that anybody that suffers tragedy experiences. Because we, for the most part, choose to send our children to places where they will be nurtured and supported and have fun. And I was no different. And this happened to be my son's fifth birthday, August 10th. And my kids went to the JCC, which is the Jewish Community Center for camp. And that's where they were. And a neo-Nazi came from the state of Washington and got off the freeway in Granada Hills, California, looking for a gas station. And he passed the JCC and he thought, oh, let me go end the next generation of Jews. Now, how do I know that? Because he told us this when he was finally caught. So, I mean, this is something I wrote about this in my book. I, I, so I am comfortable talking about it. Okay. But, but, and he went in and he proceeded to yield two powerful semi-automatic weapons and shot many people. And my son and his friends that were, weren't shot ran for their lives covered in blood after seeing their friends and teachers hit the floor. And, um, I was the first civilian on scene. And I broke through the yellow tape, never having heard of such a thing in my life. And I got tackled by a policeman. And I was dressed, I was working that day. It was uh, about 11.45 in the morning. And um, both my middle and oldest child were there. And I wanted to know where my kids were and they wouldn't tell us anything. And they sent me across the street where nobody else was standing to wait. And people started to come. And um, that feeling of hopelessness, fear. I mean, that talk about raw, that's raw fear. And um, took hours and hours and hours. And uh, I, I wouldn't want that for anybody. I mean, every time I hear school lockdown or this or that, right? It's, it's the unknowing that is the hardest part. What, um, how did you, fortunately, you know, lots of kids did survive. You know, for, for those who've never experienced this and you've watched, you, again, this is 30 years, 33 years ago, pre-Columbine. No, it's 23 years ago. 20, I'm sorry, you're right. 25 years ago, 25 years, uh, 23 years ago. God, God forbid anybody we know or anybody listening has to go through this. Like, I, mm -hmm. you know, we can solve this fucking problem, but is there a small oh, we can cuss? Yeah. Oh, all the time. Oh, I like cussing. Okay. Oh, too late. <laughs> No, uh, we did a whole episode where there was a contest who cuss, who said talk more, Richard or Scott. Um, but um, 
is there a piece of advice that you can offer that if something tragic, right? It could be a car, it could be a drunk driver hits. Yeah, person, it could be any. Right? Like, yeah. like what is, what, what, what can you offer that, that none of us know because we've never experienced and hopefully mm-hmm. don't have to, but. Treat it like you were in a, in a war and go get some serious trauma therapy, even if people survive. Because it, it, it is trauma. Um, and I had very complex PTSD after it, but it was treated, especially back then. Um, nobody, my son was alive. My daughter was alive. I'm fine. Um, I don't need any help. Okay. And it unlocked a lot of other problems that were trapped from childhood and, and whatnot. And um, it's really what led me to becoming an addict and spinning out of control and destroying a lot of things around me uh, because of the pain that I had and the lack of control that we really have in the world. And so when, and I would absolutely encourage anybody, whether they've gone through that or not, to do the self-awareness, personal development, you need to really know who you are because because you need to know yourself and you need to be okay with every range of emotions you may ever feel because they're all welcome and they all have a purpose. This is, this is, this is a tragically beautiful story. Um, I would not wish this tragedy on anyone. And the fact that you've come out on the other side and, and also as part of what you do help people is a real blessing. And very serendipitous in the fact that it is May 2023, which is also Mental Health Awareness Month. So if people have ever thought about doing something, please go do something. Call a friend, call a clergy person if that's your thing. Call a mom, call a dad, call an uncle, call a neighbor, call someone. Hey, call me. Like, I'll talk to anybody. Like, seriously. I'll talk to anybody. Yeah, and I just want to you know point out that, that this is the recognition of what Sherry's saying about raw emotion and the key piece that I really want to point out, Scott sort of messaged me to, is that the the power of the, the raw emotion creates the power of healing. Yes. And if you don't go down that power to that path, it's very hard to quote unquote even heal at all. You can ignore it, but it'll probably come back. Like that's well, it will come back right. and it will come back in a really ugly, scary way. Yeah. And like it did for me, right? And and one of the reasons I became a rapid resolution therapist was because I wanted, I, I got healed that way. And yeah. I learned that you don't have to feel it to heal it. You don't have to re-trigger and you don't have, it doesn't have to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be hard. There's so many ways to get to that raw underbelly without re-injuring yourself. Yeah. And and so I think a lot of us avoid that journey because we don't want to re-injure ourselves. And, you know, and, and if I can circle it back a little bit to, to the sale, the, that whole sales journey, right? I think that my key to success in any role I've had, I mean, I went to 10 presidents clubs in a, in a row. Okay. That's in two different companies. Like that's, I'm learning now that's pretty remarkable. I never thought a thing of it. So. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. You know, <laughs> when the top 1% good. doesn't realize they're in the 1%. That's right. You know, right? So that's, so, so um, I told you, I, I, you know, 
First of all, not that many people are even in sales for 10 years straight, let alone hit presidents. Oh, well, I've been in sales for 20 plus. So, and um, can't wait for my next sales job. Yeah. And so um, in any event, but, you know, the key to my success is being raw with my customers or prospects. Because yes. we all, you know, you hear these things all the time. Oh, you never know what somebody's dealing with. Be kind, Right. Yeah, be kind, but just be human. I mean, you know, if I if I get in front of somebody, I'm going to talk to them kind of like I'm talking to you. I might say something that is shocking. Scott, I know you had to murder your dogs. I hope I don't have to go murder mine. <laughs> and twice in one day, that would just be a little much. Um, so, <laughs> God, I think we need to have Sherry become a third co-host. Or like when we're on vacation, <laughs> we just turn over the podcast. Greater. And fill in when one of us is absent. Okay. So, so, but you gotta have fun. Okay. You have to be playful. Being raw is being real, right? Like people throw this word authenticity around, especially on LinkedIn. Like it's like, oh, be your real true self, be authentic. And they haven't been real a day in their life. God's going to go write a post on that right now. I already know. Okay. I was just, I'm trying to write down the quote as fast as I can. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I gotta, I gotta, Go I got I gotta pause here for a second. Um, and share when we come back. Uh, feel, we want to sort of do what we always do is let you turn around and ask us some questions. Okay. Um, you know, this is the spot in the show where I, where we're supposed to stop and do a, a 60 second um, commercial for HubSpot, which which we're happy to do. But I'm not going to do 60 seconds. I know people at HubSpot, and I know that they support mental health. And because they support mental health and they do these things, when you are looking for uh, the right CRM, please reach out to HubSpot. Like we've got a link in our show notes um, to those at HubSpot who marketing team wonder why I'm not doing a full 60 seconds. Well, I hope you can kind of figure it out. So, you know, otherwise you can kick us off the podcast. Now, but uh, No, don't kick us off. Maybe <laughs> I think I think that they'll understand the yes. nature and tenor of certain episodes uh, yeah. are different, right? Yes. Heck, yes. I use HubSpot and I am just an independent little person. So HubSpot, I'll give a plug for HubSpot. There we go. That's two, two, two spots in one. Okay. How, can we, uh, how can we maybe be helpful to you, Sherry? What questions do you have for yeah. us? So, you know, when we started, I thought, what kind of question am I going to ask? You know, um, I, I like to be a little more thoughtful when I ask questions, but this one's just sitting here, right? Bubbling right here to me. Um, especially since I'm looking for the job, I don't want a job. I want the job. And since I'm looking for the job and I have such a raw perceived tumultuous history, it's often hard for People who don't have the experience and self-awareness and discovery to recognize how there's power in my past. And so how would how would you suggest to somebody who maybe has had an interesting, extraordinary history, lay, a layered take of, of living, to approach that job search? to use these things as really a strength in the process. Cause I think they, I know they are. I think there's a difference perhaps between 
leading with it and, and using it as the tip of the spear and kind of waiting for the right moments to present it and, and be vulnerable. Uh, my perspective, Richard might have, have a different one, but I think, you know, if, if, if you show up to the interview and every first word out of your mouth is just like all these things that you've been through and, and whatnot, it's possible that for some people, like the red flags start waving and the sirens go off. But I think if you're more calculated and you get some of these questions where people are like, you know, talk to me about a, something difficult you've overcome in your life. Then there's moments where you can reveal a portion of your story at a time, sort of like, you know. And I would never share any of it. So that's really interesting. I yeah, would see, never share any of that. I, I, I would, you know, people would say to me in the interview process, like, you know, what's the hardest thing that you've been through? And I would sort of tell them like, well, <laughs> I spent my 20s in the hospital for four years. I've had a bunch of surgeries. You think I care about missing fucking quota? No, I got a different perspective, right? And so I, I wouldn't lead with it, but I'd wait for a strategic moment where I might bring up, you know, a piece or a portion of the story that might be relevant. So they, they get a snippet of what is what my personality is and what's what's inside of me, but I don't need to overwhelm them and just barf it all up. What, what do you think, Richard? I, mean, I I agree with you. Um, I think that's the hard part because, particularly if you're look, looking and look, you, like Sherry, it sounds like you're in a position where you can look for the job, not a job. Not everybody's in that situation. That's subjective. <laughs> okay. All right. So you also have a certain level of wisdom as opposed to maybe a twenty-something, right? Who's who's just got laid off through the, the latest rounds of stuff, right? And they're panicking and using that wisdom to tell the story where less is more right um you know i you know i'd still be conscious i mean people would know if they did research on me about you know my mental health and depression i don't know that i would say i'm depressed i would say well i've been really a strong advocate for mental health because i think it's important or something like that. so i'll give a piece and so i'd have right. to i think the hard part is what is that piece? And it sucks that I have to think that way because I'm afraid I'm going to get judged by it. Right. Like, am I going to go in and say, well, I'm, you know, I've been, you know, sober for, you know, 18 years. Right. That's a great accomplishment. However, we don't know how that other person is going to interpret it. Well, that's the right. That's why I asked that question. And, yeah. and you both, and, and I ask it um, not so much for me, but for anybody that might be listening and thinking, you know, these guys have been through a lot. And I mean, here I find myself unemployed due to tech layoffs. I've never been unemployed or had to find a job. People are usually knocking on my door and now I'm using a crowbar to pry them open. <laughs> and it's like, I'm like a, I'm like a robber. So, so it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, there are things that are really rampant and I think mental health in sales is failing. Yeah. And I I think it's gotten worse, not better. It's and gotten worse. So there's a, there's a there's a group I'm a part of. We put out the state of mental health and sales report the last two years. And Sherry, you, you should go check them out and download them. Um, I will. The, the Sales Health Alliance free plug for our friend Jeff Risley, who really organizes this. He's written a book about mental health and sales. Like he's got resources. I know who he is. Yeah. Um, so, um, 
So I would encourage you. And then in the two years they went, it got worse from 21 to 22. I wouldn't say statistically massively significant, um, but enough that you're like, Oh, it's not going up. It's going down. And, um, or it's going up, not going down. And we were very conscious of the questions to say, when you were at peak performance, what did this feel like? Rather than mm-hmm. bringing up the negative. So we were really trying to position that. So anyway, so I, it sounds like you know, Jeff, but um, that's where I would direct you. That's where I got the statistic from. Yeah. Okay. So then, you know, so well, um, well what else do you want to ask us? Or then we got to. So of- yeah. So I think, I think the the second question probably pivots off of of that question is how can we just as as people travelers along the, this journey and we're all on a journey really that ends at some point <laughs> and um while we're journeying you know how can we help make it a, a safe place this this world of of chaotic sales and unrealistic expectations and there the stigma I hate the word stigma of mental health because it doesn't do it justice yeah um because now we can talk about it so the stigma is being erased but nothing's being done about it Okay, so I hate saying the stigma, but how, what can we do? Like, what what can I do as just this uninfluential little cog in the machine that wants to make a bigger difference? So, um, you want to go first, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I mean, my my answer is pretty simple. It's just do what you did today. It's just tell your story when the environment is. Uh, appropriate and feels comfortable and safe for you and and just let people know that they're not alone without saying hey you're not alone you're just telling your story and the things that you've been through and there's potentially one person out there who might listen to this um, episode that is impacted or affected by it in a really meaningful way and you just never know And, and and I think that that just helps normalize everything so while the report might say that mental health is getting worse it's at least getting better in the sense that more people are talking about this kind of stuff and that gives the hope that there is community and other people for them to talk to to uh to help them i really love that answer i mean that's why i wrote my book is because i really wanted anybody who read it to know that no story is too difficult to tell and no story is too difficult to hear And because shame only grows in dark places, right? And none of us want to be fungus under a tree. So, you know, let's, let's bring this stuff into the light. Let's, let's open the conversations. Let's show people that, you know, we all have something that could be judged as dirty, even though where we are today has nothing to do with the past. Who we are today is because of the past. Yeah. I'm going to add one more thing and then we're going to, we're going to, you know, end it and, and say goodbye. And and most importantly, say thank you, Sherry, for sharing all these things. I mean, it's been amazing is that um, back to what are the things we can do? Um, you know, it. I don't know that it's ever going to get erased, but I feel like it's on a dimmer switch, right? Like this topic, and you can dim the brightness of this stigma a little bit. And every time we talk about it, we put the dimmer in the right direction. 
right? And that's, you know, that to me is how I tried to interpret this and, and look at it. Um, and to, you know, the other thing I will say, having talked about mental health for so long and so many years, um, it's not about helping one person. I know for a fact, just based on what I've shared, people listen to this episode and it'll help 20, 30, 40. Everybody will walk out of this episode feeling better about the opportunity to feel better if they're in a bad spot, you know? And so I, I take a very different approach of if it helps one person, no, but it helps one person then I fucking suck. Like that's, I'm not using my platform. Um, and I will say- well, you You're know, really hard on yourself. Yeah. Um, but I want, I want it to be that way because I don't want people to buy into that narrative of, well, if I help one, no, like, hey, that's it. No. This is, this is the yin and the yang of, of yeah. Rich, Rich, Richard and I. I'm like, hey, if it helps one person, it was worth it. Richard's like, this. no, it wasn't. It was fucking worthless if we only help one person. I actually I love both this. sides because yeah. it's really, it's really optimistic. Yeah. The, I will, I will share briefly. It's so weird serendipitous that you're here today last night i got a call from somebody who knows me from linkedin knows i talk about mental health and was at his last door he was there and i will leave it at that um because it's not my story to tell and i have 20 stories not quite like that but 20 stories where people have reached out to say thank you or this has helped or so that's why it's that's where i feel like it's not that much pressure on me it's more like I have the evidence to know um, right. so that's that's um, that's where that that comes from. But um, well, I want to thank you guys for having me. I really I mean that deeply. Um, it, I feel very honored to have been able to speak about these things that are so passionate to me with the two of you. You're both very well known and very well liked and highly regarded. And um, which one's I like more, me or him? I, I can't believe she said we're well liked. <laughs> I mean, oh, okay. I got that you. going. For <laughs> I don't know. Nobody knows. I can only Sherry, talk. Sherry, before, 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 before we get out of here, Sherry, tell everybody where they can find you if they wanted to reach out and give your book yeah. a plug. Oh, oh okay. Um, I used to have it out. I don't. It's called My Skeletons Have Names. It's a really short, two and a half hour read. Um, and it, it tells some stories. Some of it is redundant because the first time you write a book, um, you just got to get it out there and you can get it on Amazon. It was a bestseller, uh, ahead of Matthew McConaughey's book when it came out. And, um, I'm always on LinkedIn. That's a great place to reach me. Great. Perfect. With the subtle plug of, I was ahead of Matthew McConaughey's book. No big deal. No big deal. Well, it's kind of like President's Club of 10 times, right? It's just really no big deal. Last question for Richard. What's more impressive about Sherry? 10 years in a row of President's Club or her book being ahead of Matthew McConaughey on the bestseller list? I think it's the book. Oh, see, no respect for 10 years. Just need one shining moment. No, but I think when Richard's heart. Both the put me in the 1% club, though, because yeah. only 1% of the people have written a book and only 1% of the people have made that accomplishment. But, but the point is, she couldn't write that book without having done it for as many years as she did. That's where my frame comes from. So, so yeah, whatever. I so. love it. You guys are great. Uh, Sherry, thank you again. This has been great. We could probably go I've for like two more myself. hours. Jesus. Tremendously.
So thank you, thank you. We appreciate it. And uh, folks, please check out Sherry and her book, My Skeletons Have Names, uh, and connect with her on LinkedIn.